You know, the theme of this uh, conference when Tom first uh, came to talk to me about, uh, he was wrestling with the idea of what to name it, you know, the, the end time church and prayer and how that connects. And, and as I thought about that, that theme, I thought, what would be the one thing that I'd want to make sure uh, the end time church understood as it relates to prayer? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight. The spirit of Antichrist is on the march. Just the last few days, we've, we've seen what's happened in Beirut, in Baghdad, and tonight in Paris, even as we're here. We, they're still finding out how many bodies to collect. The so spirit of Antichrist has found a home in Islam. And if I, I could take two hours tonight and, and develop a compelling case for that. But I just want to just say that he's, it's on the march. And so in light of, in light of that, it's, there's going to be an increase in opposition to the church. This will be the church's finest hour, but there will be an increase in opposition. So it's important that the church knows how to navigate this. So what I want to do tonight is I want to back up and make sure we got the right template so I want to go back to Acts chapter 1, because we've got to make sure that if we want to be the spirit-filled church in the end times, we need to go back to the first century church, that's the spirit-filled church in the beginning times of the church, and see what was key, because we've got to make sure we have those key pieces. Now, you're going to get to hear from some other anointed speakers tonight and tomorrow morning, and my goal is to make sure that we are set on the right trajectory for what God will do during this time. And so if you've, uh, Bible's handy, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. What I want to do here is I want to divide my comments out of Acts chapter 1 into two categories. Real simple. What the early church knew and what the early church did. We need to know what they knew and we need to do what they did. So we need to, do, so I'm going to break that down. So let me pray before we start into that. Father, we pray that, that even tonight, the bride would be getting herself ready. Would you anoint me to that end? In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, what they knew, what the early church knew, Acts chapter 1, let's just jump in there. First thing they knew, they knew Jesus chose them. Acts 1, verses 1 and 2. The first account, this is Luke writing here. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had been by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles, listen to this, whom he had chosen. Now, they were the disciples that Jesus had chosen. They were not self-appointed. They were not appointed by any human being or committee or church, but they were directly and personally chosen and appointed by Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. That is true, and they knew that. Second thing they knew, Jesus showed himself to them, Acts 1-3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, 
by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Jesus suffered, died, was resurrected. He showed himself then to his followers. He gave them, it says, many convincing proofs, proofs that he was alive. He did this off and on for 40 days as the resurrected Christ. He appeared to them. He spoke of the kingdom of God, and he, he showed himself to them. They could, they, they could see him. They could touch him. They could hear him. You know, they, they could feel him. So by their senses, he showed himself to them in a way they could receive. Keep that in mind. Third thing, Jesus commissioned them, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So they were to be his eyewitnesses, as we know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, ends of the earth. This is the great commission, just said in another way. This is he commissioned them. Keep that in mind. Fourth, last one. Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So just think about this. He chose them. He revealed himself to them. He commissioned them and he promised his Holy Spirit to them. Now, there's no doubt that these apostles here in the first century were unique in many ways. Primarily, they're unique in that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. They're also unique in the fact that they're going to give, be given special privilege and authority to, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write the scriptures. So they are very unique. But in a secondary sense, it is also true Number one, that he chose you. He chose you. Now that needs to sink in deep. I tell you, particularly in the days to come, we better know this to be true. He chose you. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he, what does it say? Chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we'd be holy and blameless before him. He chose us. And I tell you, the more we, the more we understand who we're talking about that did the choosing, and the more we let that sink in, the more powerfully it impacts us. I, I still can't get past this idea when I was a little boy and we used to have all these games in the neighborhood and there's always the two biggest most handsome guys that were captains, and they would pick teams. And these guys came back from college, you know, and all those little kids, and we wanted to get picked on their team. And I remember one time when one of the guys came, and I didn't think he even knew my name, and he said, I'll take little Hutch to be on my team. And I just thought, wow, he knows my name. He picked me to be on his team. I mean, I was so thrilled by this. Well, that's nothing, right, compared to what we're talking about here. He chose you. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, he chose you. He chose you to be on his team. I mean, warts and all. 
He chose you. He loves you. He chose you. He wants you on his team. So just let all the feelings of unworthiness just melt off. I mean, he chose you, and then he, you know, he made you worthy, right? So he chose you. He chose you, and Christ makes you worthy. Let that sink in today. That's the first crucial truth I think it's important that we get. Before we talk about prayer, we're going to get to that in a moment, that we understand who we are. He chose you. Believe it. Live like it. So receive that. Second truth. He revealed himself to you. So you're in this room tonight, and you're a follower of Christ tonight, because he decided to reveal himself to you. Do you ever think about that? I mean, we feel like, you know, we went after him, and in, in some ways we did, but he initiated. He first revealed himself to you. John six forty four is real clear about this. Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up in the last day. That means the Father in heaven decided to draw you. He decided to draw you to Christ. That's why you've come to Christ. So he chose you, and then he chose to reveal himself to you. I mean, when I was a 12-year-old kid, I still remember sitting in church. We, I grew up in a, in a family and went to Catholic Mass every so often. And, but I remember seeing Jesus still on the cross, sitting there as a 12-year-old boy, thinking, I wish you would come down and talk to me. And then when I was 15, I had a motorcycle, and I drove out in the woods, and I'd park it, and I'd go sit in the middle of nowhere, and I just say, God, I need you to come talk to me. I, I need, I, I, I don't know how to know you. I want to know you. What I didn't know at that time is all that was happening because he was drawing me. That wasn't because it was just, it was me doing that. He was just drawing me, and I was responding. And then as a 19-year-old, I came to know Christ. He chose you. He revealed himself to you. Thirdly, he commissioned you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He's telling us this too, not just the first century disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, so he chose you. He revealed himself to you. Then he gave you a mission. He commissioned you. You've got a mission. You've been given a mission now, so many are off mission because of disappointment or woundedness. And I understand there needs to be times of healing. But we need to realize that above and beyond all of our disappointments and all of our woundedness, we have been given the highest calling that you can possibly have. I mean, we have been given this mission. And I tell you, we would have to, we would have to actually uh, you know, stoop to become the president of the United States. We have to stoop to be a king or a queen or a prime minister. Why? Because we have this high calling. We have this high calling. And I know people, I, I've heard so many people say, well, you know, I just don't feel qualified. And my response is all, all the time is, what, what made you qualify in the first place? His grace? What did that change? No, that didn't change. Okay, so he appointed you. You did not appoint yourself. You didn't just decide to, to do this. You know, he appointed you. He made you worthy. He commissioned you. And by the way, his callings, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. 
And then, fourthly, he promised his Holy Spirit to us for ministry, Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So these are the things they knew, okay? Now, what did they do? What did they do? Right after the ascension, I mean, they're watching Jesus go up into the clouds, right? Acts 1. And I, I picture their jaws dropped. And then what do they do next? Because one, one, one of the last things Jesus said to them to do. Remember what he said to do? He said, now, go back to Jerusalem and do what? And wait. For what? Wait for the Holy Spirit to clothe them with power on high. Let's just review that real quick. Luke 24, verse 50 and 53. It says, uh, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So they are praising God in the temple. And then Acts, end of Luke and Acts chapter 1, they overlap. Acts 1, verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So here's what they did. They go back to Jerusalem and they do two things. They are in this continuous praise. They are praising God. They're caught up in passionate praise. And they are in continuous prayer in the upper room. What I want to do now is I want to just give you three things. I'm, some of this is review for, for, for a lot of you here, but I want to make a case of the end time church in a moment. So I want you to get it all in your head right here. Three characteristics now of the kind of prayer that precedes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. These three characteristics of the kind of prayer that preceded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 are the same characteristics of the kind of prayer that preceded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in every revival and every awakening in church history. The same three. And it's really important that we understand what these are. First one, number one is passionate praise. Again, they were continually in the temple praising God. You could translate this celebrating God with praises, blessing God. They were passionate in their praise. I mean, they were worshiping God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul. There's no going through the motions here. I mean, this, this is passionate. And uh, Marvin, really appreciate your leadership tonight and the team up here. Wasn't that awesome? Didn't they lead us into passionate, passionate worship and passionate praise to God? And they just, uh, I just picture them lost in adoration. And that's kind of like Marvin when he's up here leading. He's lost. I don't even think he knows where he's at when he's up here. You know, he's just lost in it. And that's how he, that's how he leads us into it. Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me with all of your heart, you find me. You know, the worship isn't in the seeking. You seek him with all of our heart. That's when we're just getting past all the junk. You know, all the anxieties, all the sin, all of the worried about what's coming and thinking about what's past and we're just seeking him and breaking through and finally getting there. And then we worship. We find him. There's no half-heartedness in their worship and there needs to be none in ours. James 4, 8, draw near to God, he draws near to you. God promises to reciprocate. So this is the first thing. This is the kind of prayer that precedes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that is you start getting a group of people to come together and passionately praise God. Just seek him with all your heart. And there's going to be people that aren't going to like that. There's going to be people that are thinking this meeting is going too long. Or, you know, this is too weird. Or, you know, this is too inconvenient. Whatever. But 
that I know I'm in the right place tonight. Because there is hungry and thirsty people here for God. And I know when you're, when you're in a group like that, you can't, you can't miss it. I mean, think about Acts chapter 16. God drags the Apostle Paul and his apostolic band all the way across the country of Turkey, across the sea, to Philippi, to a riverbank. Why? Because there's a group of women there seeking God. He tells Paul, you can't even speak as you're going through Turkey to anybody. i got to get you to the riverbank. Why? Because his heart is attracted to those who are passionately pursuing him. Isaiah 66, verse 2, the Lord says, To he who is humble and contrite of heart and trembles at my word, to him I will look, says the Lord. He is searching the earth, 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 69, searching the earth to and fro, seeking anyone's heart who's fully his, fully his, and he strongly wants to go support them. God is looking for hungry, hungry hearts. So passionate praise, seeking with all your heart, you find him. Draw near to him, he draws near to you. That makes sense that, we would, that that kind of prayer would precede the outpouring of the Spirit, doesn't it? So passionate praise. Number two, unified intercession. Unified intersection, Acts 1.14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Notice that. These all with one mind. One mind. There's 120 of them, according to Acts 1.15. They're in this meeting. They prayed with one mind. There was one purpose. There was one impulse. Now, let me ask you, what do you think that was? What was their one request? Remember, Jesus said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you. What do you think they're praying for? They're praying for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Of course they are. Remember what Jesus taught them in Luke 11? Luke 11, verse 11 through 13, he says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Of course not. If he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Of course not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, now they're asking. Now they're asking. And they're in agreement. They're in agreement praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them. I'm so glad Jesus says what he says in Luke 11. I'm so glad. Because, you know, we've, we've raised four kids, and I can't imagine any of my kids coming up to me and asking for a fish, and me go, here's a snake instead. <laughs> and me being evil compared to God, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I know there's people that come to meetings like this that are fretting. They're fretting they're going to miss it. They're thinking, oh, no, I don't know if I'm doing things enough to earn this tonight. Just ask. Just ask. You can't miss. You can't miss it. You can't miss what God's going to do. But they were a unified intercession. Why is that important? Matthew 18, 19, and 20, they understood this. Jesus taught them this. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. By the way, do we have at least two or three gathered in his name tonight? So he's here. I mean, think about that. Don't talk to him like he's not in the room, right? I mean, he's here. He's right here. They're gathered in his name. 
They're in agreement in prayer. And what they're praying for was the Holy Spirit to be poured out. So they got God's promise. Think about this. They got God's promise that if they ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll send him. They got God's promise that if they're gathered in his name and they're in agreement, he will do it. But there's more. There's a third aspect or characteristic of the kind of prayer that precedes the outpouring of the Spirit, and that is persistent prayer. Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were persistent. They're not only united in their intercession, they're persistent in their prayer. Now, how many of you know how long that prayer meeting lasted? How many days? Ten days. It was ten days. It was, it was ten days. It was 40 days Jesus appeared. There was a resurrected Christ teaching them, but then ten more days before Pentecost, in those ten days they were in this prayer meeting. They're in a ten-day prayer meeting. Now, I tell you, I can't imagine... A ten-day prayer, prayer meeting here in this country that some people before by, by day nine would finally say, it ain't working. It ain't working, and I'm gone. And I've been missing my TV program. And I'm leaving. And they're not there when it happens. But I, this, is, this is a 10-day prayer meeting, and they persisted and persisted. I want you to think about what they've done in this meeting. They have the promise that they ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father will send them. They have that promise, and I believe they're asking. 10 days of this prayer meeting, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. What do you think they're praying? They're asking. They also have the, a promise that they pray in agreement. Two or three, they're in agreement. God will answer. They're in agreement. Also, they have this promise that if they persist in prayer, keep asking, you'll receive. Keep seeking, you'll find. Keep knocking, the door will be open. And so they're persisting. They're persisting. So what happens? Acts chapter 2 happens. Right? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. I tell you, this, this, this will happen. This will happen. It'll happen anywhere in the world. It'll happen when people come and will pursue him like that with that kind of passionate prayer, unified intercession and persistent prayer. It will happen. It happens. Okay? Now, what should you expect next? Now, I just want to walk you through these passages real quick. Again, some of you are familiar with this, but I want you to see it all together. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. I don't have these. In, I, have, I have a summary of them. I'll go ahead and put that screen up. Here's the summary. You might want to just write those down look at them later. But Acts 1, I want you to see a pattern. Acts 1, verse 14, they're all in the upper room praying. We just read that verse. Acts 2, verse 4. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. What happens next? In verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was given their utterance. There's power. Prayer, then power. Acts 2.41, what happens? Result of that power, those who are, Peter stands up, preaches his most awesome message. Verse 41, they're all, all who received his word were baptized. They're added that day about 3,000 souls. I'd call that a pretty good day of ministry, wouldn't you? That's ministry. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, the healing of the lame man results in Peter getting up, preaching again. What happens? Well, another 2,000 come to Christ. So we have prayer, power, ministry. What happens next? Acts chapter 4, verse 3, and they laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now we got opposition. 
Now we got the first persecution of the church. All right, what do they do? Well, they don't quit. They don't whine. They go back to the prayer meeting, Acts 4, 23 and 24. When they had been released, they went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord, and here we go. They're in a prayer meeting now. All right, what happens after that prayer? All right, Acts 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with boldness. What's that? There's power. There's power. What's the result of that power? Acts 4, 33. With great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. What should we expect to happen next? Opposition. Acts chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which, by the way, the first kind of opposition the devil brings against the church is outward, it's direct confrontation, it's persecution, it's intimidation. The second strategy we see in Ananias and Sapphira, he can't stop them from the outside, he tries to come up from the inside and bring about moral compromise. Peter actually sees it for what it is, and Peter says to Ananias, he says, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart to lie? to the Holy Spirit. See, he saw the demonic scheme that was happening, the, the satanic scheme. He knew this was a demonic thing happening. So he rebukes, rebukes it. But it's opposition. It's just a different kind of opposition. Sometimes the devil comes at you directly, tries to intimidate you, get you to back off. Sometimes he tries to get compromise on the inside of the church. All right, and by the way, what we see is strategies th throughout the book of Acts. What do they do? Well, they go back into a prayer meeting, Acts 5. Verses 12 through 14, we see prayer, power, and ministry here. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. With one accord. What do you think that means? Okay, well, again, they're, they're, this is worship and prayer. And none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And the more believers in the Lord... And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly adding, being added to their numbers. So now we have prayer, power, ministries happening. So what should we expect to happen next? Acts 5, 17 and 18. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. Opposition. So again, guys, you know, this pattern is real in the book of Acts and it's real in our lives. Prayer, and then there's power from the Spirit of God, and there's effective ministry. And next thing that's coming, guys, is coming is opposition. And what, we ha what do we do when the opposition happens? Go back to the prayer meeting. What does God do? Pours forth His Spirit again. And what happens? You have more power to do more ministry. What, what's coming around the corner? It's coming. It's coming. Opposition. What do we do? We expect it. We go back to the prayer meeting. We pray. We seek the Lord. Say, pour out your spirit. He pours out his spirit ready. Speak the word of God boldly again. What happens? More effective ministry. What happens? Another kind of opposition. And there's different kinds of opposition that he brings, but it's going to be, he's going to come up against us. And too often times what the church does is the church just gets discouraged thinks, oh, golly, God must not be with us. But this is the normal pattern, the normal pattern. Now, why is this so important? It's so important because I think, you know, 
whether, whether you are a Pentecostal, charismatic, non-charismatic, traditional, whatever your theology is, if your theology does not include the fact that we have to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's wrong. We have to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I have people say, yeah, I got baptized in the Spirit back in 1976. I'm thinking, well, that ain't holding. I mean, yeah, you're, you're born again. No, I'm, I'm not, that's holding, I'm saying. But I'm, I'm saying we've got to keep the people in Acts 2 are the same people praying in Acts 4. When the building shakes and Spirit, God falls on them again, we have to keep, keep asking the Holy Spirit to fill us up, drench us, you know, soak us, empower us for ministry. It is, it is something, and I tell you, it's not just on the individual basis. We need to do it on the individual basis. But there's something corporate about this. There's something about being able to go back to a group and passionately worship in a group and be filled in a group. That's why it's so important to continue to build the meetings in, in the jihad in the house of prayer. To have that to say, you know, we got to keep, keep getting back in there and keep being filled up for what's coming. Now, I said that my point I wanted to get to was what does this have to do with the end time church? Well, the end time church is going to fulfill the Great Commission. So we are, going to be, we are going to be big time ministry. We're going to need big time power to do it. And we're going to have to be a praying church to have that power. So I'm just backing around now, right? So, so we've got to be a praying church if we're going to be a powerful church, if we're going to be a ministry effective church, fulfill the Great Commission, bring the return to Christ. But this opposition piece is one I want to talk about in a minute. This is what's going to increase on the earth. That's why there's going to be a great apostasy. That's why there's going to be a great falling away. See, many, there's, the praying church is not going to fall away. The praying church is going to be the, the victorious church. But there's going, to be, there's going to be the five virgins that brought no oil. Right? See, the ten virgins really is a picture of ex, externally of the church. And in the church, there are those who are true and those who are not true. And, and, but we got, the praying church will be the true church because they're going to be, continue to pray and be filled with power and do ministry. And then when the opposition increases, they're going to know just to go back to the prayer meeting and get more power and more ministry. I'm telling you, there's a large part of the church that I am, I'm really concerned about, particularly in this country that, that is not taking prayer seriously. And they've got all the gadgets They've got all of the stuff, you know. I mean, you know, they've got the techniques and the programs. And I'm telling you, there's a time coming where that ain't going to work. That is not going to cut it. I guarantee you. And, I'm, I, and it, it alarms me. I'm alarmed by this because I tell you, if we don't have a, if the church is not a praying church, they will not have the power to be able to handle what's coming. You can have all the programs and all the buildings and all the media, you know, all the audiovisual equipment and all the stuff working for you. And I'm telling you, it's going to be slammed to the ground. The only our 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 our, our battle against is not against flesh and blood, it's against spiritual powers of darkness. And I tell you, we bet, we put on the armor, but we also we pray at all times in the spirit, with this in view. The rest of that story, I think people close the closet on the spiritual armor too soon. Because before he finishes the spiritual armor, he talks about prayer. And if we're going to win the victory, we've got to be a praying church. And so 
my, what, what do I want to see happen? I want Jesus to come back. And I know he's not coming back until this gospel of the king has been preached to every ethnos. And I know that's not going to happen without praying church. That's got power to do it. And so when, when you think about being an end time church, being a praying church, realize it's a praying church so we can get this mission done and Jesus can come back. It's not just to be a praying church just so we can be cozy with Jesus. Although that's wonderful. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's because we've got a mission to do too. We've got a mission to do. So when you go back to the prayer room, what do you, how, what do you pray? Passionate praise, unified intercession, persistent prayer. That's how you pray. And so, when you, so what's the prayer meeting supposed to look like? Just like that prayer meeting looked like. What is it? Like we did tonight. We went into passionate praise. Okay, then we went to some unified intercession, persistent prayer. And we have to keep going back. And part of our number one persistent prayer, number one request when we go back to the prayer meeting is pour out your spirit, Lord. We need more. We need more. Pour out your spirit. And I just want to ask Marv if you come back up here to the keyboard for a moment because I'd like to just close this with just a a brief ministry, ministry time. I believe there's some of you right now that are kind of stuck in the opposition spot. You, you've experienced the prayer, the power, the ministry, and you feel like you just you just up against opposition. And we want to pray over you tonight and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up. And so let's all stand for just a moment. And those of you that that's who you are. Now, some of you are thinking, every time, you, every time you ask for an opportunity to pray, you're going to get up here and get prayed for. I know that's how some of you are thinking, okay? But specifically, specifically, if you really are just thinking, you know, I'm up against it right now, opposition, and I need a breakthrough, then go ahead and slip out real quick and come up here. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you.